Welcome to another iGrow season at APC. We're so glad you've tuned in. Our church is blessed with excellent teachers of the Word of God, and our hope is that you find today's teaching enlightening, motivational, and encouraging. To learn more about our church, visit theapc.org or find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's lesson. We are going to start out with uh, scripture reading as... I believe all good messages start out. Um, so if you have a Bible, phone, or whatever, uh, you can bring them out and turn to 1 Kings 16, verse 30, verse 30 through 31. And when you have it, say amen. First uh, Kings 16, 30 through 31. And we'll kind of hover throughout those for six, or, uh, chapter 16 through um, roughly 22. We won't, go, we won't read a, a ton of scripture, all of it. Um, I, I want to refrain from just kind of reading reading the stories to you. I believe you guys can do that. I'm hoping to kind of give a little bit of information that uh, maybe can't be found in the Bible because a lot of uh, what King Ahab did, a lot of his story, uh, can actually be traced through just history itself, through sources outside of the Bible. So um, hopefully give a little bit of information that can't be found in the Bible and maybe a little bit interesting, and we will go from there. So 1 Kings 16, 30-31. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. That he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of, uh, king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Now jumping down to, to verse 33, And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So one thing that we can, we can look at, we can realize from uh, reading about Ahab is he is very easily influenced. He doesn't seem to have a voice for himself. He's very influenced by, um, by his surroundings, by his father. We'll see that a little bit, and specifically by Jezebel. So he's regarded as the most wicked king of Israel. And more than any other king, he provoked the Lord to anger, and he built and worshipped idols, and he even condone the murder of hundreds of the Lord's prophets. Now, Ahab's greatest acts of evil stem from, from two main places, and really one of them actually stems from the other. So um, his first greatest act of evil was that he worshipped Baal. He built idols, and uh, everyone around him, he, his main thing is he worshipped Baal. He condoned the worship of those false idols. And his second one, greatest act of evil, is his marriage itself, his marriage to Jezebel. Now, it's not often in Scripture that the wife of a king is even mentioned, let alone given as much attention as Jezebel, which is significant. Now, this is significant because Ahab's wickedness is directly connected to Jezebel and her influence. And Ahab's devotion to Baal was a direct response to his marriage with Jezebel. 
And she does seem to be the root of, forgive me, sorry. Uh, she does seem to be the root cause of Ahab's actions. 1 Kings 21 and 25 says, But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the eyes of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up, or in other terms, urged him on. So she urged him. She was kind of the instigator of uh, Baal worship because she came from, from that history. That was her background. She, she worshipped Baal. She built those idols. She came from a land that was Baal worshippers. So Gracie is going to come. She is going to uh, give a little bit of insight as to who Jezebel is. And uh, then we'll go from there. So when Brayden and I were putting together our lesson to figure out, you know, how we were going to divide up, he was looking over it and he's like, well, I don't co-teach that often. He was like, I was like, well, you just let me know what, you know, portion you would like me to do. And he's like, well, you can just take Jezebel and talk about her. So that's what I get to discuss with you guys today. Um, and as Brayden mentioned, um, she is a very prominent part of this story because of who she was and her influence that she had on Ahab. Um, so we can dive a little bit into who Jezebel was. Um, in 1 Kings 16 and 31, um, you can start to read and you see Jezebel's name mentioned multiple times. Um, she was the daughter of Ethbal, who was the king of the Sidonians. It was obvious that she was a woman of great influence um, and not just to Ahab. It was Jezebel who instigated worship of Baal to Ahab to begin with. Um, scripture tells us in 1 Kings 18 and 4 that she was the one who organized and massacred the prophets of the Lord and forced Obadiah to hide 100 prophets in caves. So needless to say, she had a very strong influence. Um, in this case, it is not a good influence, but strong nonetheless. Elijah confronts Ahab in 1 Kings 18 and tells him to meet at Mount Carmel with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Ashura who eat at Jezebel's table. Even some sources believe that Jezebel had not only her own compound within the royal court, but also an independent administrative organization that was financed and answerable to her alone. She had a great influence over people um, even in the negative. It seems that Ahab was comfortable and content with leaving the administration of religious affairs under Jezebel's control. It doesn't seem like he tried to intervene and stop it. Um, Jezebel even organized the murder of Naboth to give Ahab a vineyard. As the story progresses on, we'll learn a little bit more about that. But amongst this, Jezebel's influence is shown in how Elijah interacts with Ahab and Jezebel. So diving a little bit into Elijah and Ahab and how um, Jezebel kind of fits into that, Ahab and Elijah had multiple encounters throughout 1 Kings. You see it in multiple different areas. But in 1 Kings 17 and 1, Elijah announces the coming drought to Ahab and there is no rec recorded response from the king. Um, Ahab and Elijah met each other twice in 1 Kings 18. In the third year of the drought, Ahab angrily greets Elijah as the troubler of Israel in 1816, but Elijah shows no fear of the king and directs, directly encounters that Ahab and his family are the real troublemakers for Israel. Um, Ahab even compliantly obeys Elijah's direction to gather the prophets at Baal, of Baal at Mount Carmel, 
when Elijah puts to death the prophets of Baal. Ahab takes no action to prevent the slaughter and has no response or reaction following the massacre. So he was very, he didn't stand up against Jezebel and what um, she was doing or what she was provoking. He just went along with it. Um, instead, Elijah instructs Ahab to eat and drink because rain is coming. And Ahab again compiles with the prophets or complies with the prophets' instructions. While Ahab is the ruler of Israel, this king takes on the demeanor of a servant in the presence of Elijah, the prophet of Yahweh. In all of these encounters, Ahab's response to the prophet Elijah reflects, um, reflects a conflicted obedience. Elijah's words of judgment in opposition to the royal agenda anger Ahab, but he maintains a measure of fear and respect for the prophetic office and message. Ahab would appear as somewhat weak and indecisive. Jezebel definitely being the outgoing, very dominant um, personality in this story. And a little bit more about Elijah and Jezebel. Um, the characterization of Jezebel in Kings is exactly the opposite. Um, there is never actually a face-to-face -face encounter between Jezebel and Elijah um, or any other prophetic figure because such a meeting would have maybe been too volatile. Um, Jezebel always indirectly hears from Ahab what Elijah has done to the prophets of Baal. Elijah delivers the personal, um, I apologize, Elijah delivers the personal oracle concerning the judgment and the death of Jezebel to Ahab rather than to the queen herself. Um, and the wickedness of Jezebel is such that even a figure as forceful as Elijah dares not to show his face in her presence. So you can see that uh, Elijah's true conflict was with Jezebel and Ahab had acted as a passive speculator or spectator. Elijah understood the power that Jezebel had and fleed when Jezebel ordered his death. He understood that she had the power to do so. Jezebel was essentially the brains behind Ahab's rule um, at times, she took control and acted with the power of the king while Ahab just allowed her to. Um, Jezebel, is off, Jezebel, as the instigator and influencer of promoting Baal in Israel, not only raises a conflict between Ahab and Elijah, but on one even greater scale, it has paralleled the conflict between God and Baal at the time. So I think Brain's going to come back and he's going to go a little bit more into a little bit more about Ahab. All right. So, of course, Jezebel, she had a, a great influence. And um, reading about the story, of course, I had a general knowledge of Jezebel, but um, maybe didn't have a, a ton of knowledge of just how big of a role she played in the actions of Ahab. Um, so Ahab, just kind of diving into more of his history, you know, we know the influence of Jezebel, but I want to kind of get into the background a little bit of Ahab, because, of course, that's what the class is about, so. Um, now Ahab and his father Omri, uh, they're considered to be one of, the, one of the most, if not the most powerful and historically significant kings of Israel. And even long after Omri and Ahab had died, Omri is of course his, uh, Ahab's father, uh, long after Omri and Ahab had died, uh, kings of Israel were identified by foreign powers, so outside countries, kings of Israel were identified as son of Omri. So each king after that was identified with Omri, identified with Ahab. 
Um, now, both were considered to be the, the most wicked or the most evil kings of Israel. If we look at Scripture, of course, we hear first about King Omri, and, and Scripture even describes him as, uh, as doing the most to provoke the Lord to anger. And then just shortly after, once Ahab takes over as king, we see those same words. So uh, we can reason that Ahab had not only done what his father had done, but he had even gone to greater lengths of provoking the Lord to anger. And it's evident that successors, uh, other kings of Israel that had uh, succeeded, or succeed, that's right word, yeah, succeeded, uh, the kings of Israel, even their lack of covenantal righteousness was later compared to that of Ahab. So for all the kings that followed Ahab, his rule had essentially become the standard for wickedness and comparison. Now Ahab was a part of the Omri Omri dynasty, which is made up of four kings uh, lining or stemming from Omri himself. So, of course, Omri was the first king in this dynasty, uh, named after him. He ruled from 879 to 869 BC. Ahab, uh, of course, is his son, ruled from 868 to 854 BC. And uh, the following two kings were Ahab's sons. I believe they ruled for somewhere around 14 years after the death of Ahab. Excuse me. Now, Omri and Ahab, they were specifically known for their institution of foreign policy and creating alliances with surrounding areas, namely Judah and Phoenicia. Now, the connection between Phoenicia, Jezebel was actually a Phoenician princess. So the connection there, that's actually how Jezebel and Ahab came to meet. That's how they, uh, of course, came to be married, and that's where that influence came from. So um, that time, the Omri dynasty was also defined by uh, pristine architecture. If you uh, look up some resources or, or look up some sources about uh, Samaria and the ruins today, uh, it's evident that you can see... The, the great architecture and, and uh, buildings that were once there, there of, uh, I guess ruins would be the right word. Uh, and then you can see how pristine that architecture was in those buildings there. So that was definitely a major part of the Omri dynasty, specifically between Omri and Ahab. Now, what scripture says about Omri and Ahab of course, 1 Kings 16, 25-26 says, Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all who were before him. For he walked in all the way, all the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and in his sin by which he had made Israel sin, provoking the Lord to anger, Lord, of God, Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. And moving on to verse 24, it says, Omri bought and built on the hill owned by Shemer called, and called it Syria. So essentially Omri met a man named Shemer and he, he bought his land and he built a city called Samaria which would eventually become the capital city of Jerusalem under the rule of Omri and Ahab. And of course that's where all that architecture and uh, palaces and, and buildings were built 
and that became the capital city. Now moving on to 1 Kings 16, 30 and 31, uh, which we've already read, Now Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him, including his father. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, <clears throat> that he took his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. In verse 32, says that Ahab set up and built an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. So what I think is interesting here is... That Omri, what he did as king, it, it directly impacted Ahab and what he did as king. And even more so, as I mentioned earlier, it was amplified and even taken one step further. Omri did evil worse than any before him and bought land to build on. And Ahab being Omri's son, he learned Omri's habits and continued in his footsteps. And Ahab has now done evil worse than any other even his own father. And Omri, quite literally, if we look at it, he bought the land that would become Samaria. He quite literally bought the land that would be the foundation for Ahab to build temples and idols to worship in Syria. Just as a, a general rule, the habits, that, the habits that we create can only be amplified by those who closely follow you. And what we make as a priority now, it will generally be reflected in how those who follow us are, or how our kids operate in the future. So even though Ahab was described as wicked in the biblical narrative, Ahab himself, even he is not so proud that he is unwilling to repent when given the opportunity. In 1 Kings 21, 21, says, Behold, the Lord speaking through, through Elijah to Ahab. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity and will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. And Ahab's response in verse 27 says, So it was when Ahab heard those words that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth, sackcloth excuse me, uh, and went about mourning. Now he is also willing to align himself with Yahweh, at least when it is to his advantage. In uh, chapter 20 of 1 Kings, in the battle against the Syrians, Ahab pleaded with God to bring victory to the and to bring victory to his army of Israel, and the Syrians were defeated. <coughs> but the Bible does not necessarily present Ahab as a leader inherently inclined to evil. It's not necessarily his first instinct but as the one who he, he readily gives in to that temptation he doesn't seem to have any control but when that temptation comes he's very quick to step into that temptation in this sense Ahab represents the ultimate test of covenantal character and under Jezebel's influence Ahab willingly commits adultery um, I'm sorry idolatry theft murder Usurpation of power. 1 Kings 21 verse 25 uses the terminology that he sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. So he's very quick to give himself. He was very quick to be passive to Jezebel and passive to her rule 
and even to the point that he would he would give up his king his uh, kingly power his his right and he would give that over to Jezebel for her to essentially do her own will and inflict that on the people of Israel specifically the prophets of Yahweh now Ahab had 70 sons altogether. It's a lot. Um, though only two are mentioned by name in the Bible or in Scripture. And those two are, forgive me, I practiced this, Ahaziah, Ahaziah, <laughs> and uh, Jehoram, who served as king after Ahab. All of Ahab's family ended up, uh, all of his family in his house would actually be killed by King Jehu in 2 Kings chapter 10. And even Jezebel would also be killed by King Jehu in 2 Kings chapter 9, as it was prophesied by Elijah in 1 Kings 21 and 23. So if we look at the, the main story in the Bible, which would be between Ahab and Elijah, that, that's kind of the, the stories that are intertwined in, uh, in 1 Kings is uh, Elijah's story as a prophet and Ahab as king of Israel. So in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, Elijah proclaims a drought that would last for three years until Elijah would again ask for the Lord to, for it to rain. And in 1 Kings 18, chapter 20, or I'm sorry, in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20, this is likely the most well the most well-known story relating to Ahab. Of course, I'm sure with my audience here, we're familiar with uh, Elijah's experience with the prophets of Baal and him calling down fire uh, on the altar with the bull. So, essentially, Elijah challenges Ahab to bring Jezebel's prophets, not his prophets, but to bring Jezebel's prophets for a contest to see who would win, Baal or Yahweh. God. Elijah proposes that the one who sends down fire on an altar would be God. And he had the prophets of Baal sacrifice a bull and lay it on the altar. And the prophets called out to Baal for hours. I believe it said to start early in the morning into, until noon or after. They would call out to Yahweh, would do their chants, they would do their rituals. Uh, even got to a point where nothing would happen, so they began cutting themselves in a hope that Baal would answer their prayers to bring down fire on this altar to prove that he is God. And of course, nothing happened at that point. So Elijah, he took another bull, he built his own altar, and he sacrificed the bull and laid it on the altar. And he even dug a trench around the altar and commanded for, I believe it's four jars, commanded for four jars of water to be poured on the altar. And he commanded that be done three times. And from there, there was so much water, the altar was soaked, the, the wood was soaked, the, the bowl was soaked to the point where even water began to leak down into the trenches and, and filled the trench that was around the altar. And of course, Elijah began to pray and Elijah began to call on Yahweh, began to call on God to bring down fire. And near immediately, God brought down fire on that altar and licked up all the water and burned up the sacrifice. Now, Ahab's relationship with Elijah is interesting. 
and that Ahab seems to have at least some sort of respect for Elijah. But respect doesn't necessarily mean that he liked him or he was fond of him in any sort of way. But because of how we see that Ahab interacts with Elijah, you know, Ahab's a king. He, he has soldiers. He has staff. He had multiple interactions with Elijah. Of course, if he wanted to or if he had the, the backbone to, Elijah, or I'm sorry, Ahab, essentially could have ordered immediately for Elijah to be killed. That was well within his right as king of Israel to order the execution of Elijah. But that never happened. And it's because I believe that, that Ahab had that respect for, for Elijah. He understood Elijah's position as prophet of God. And I, I believe even in the back of his mind, he knew that God was the, the one true God of Israel. But he, he may have not have had too much of a, a backbone or too much of a voice of his own to, to speak up against Jezebel, to speak up against the, the prophets of Baal, just because I believe he was, for lack of a better word, scared. <laughs> um, but we'll, we'll kind of move on from there, and uh, just because this is an overview of Ahab. So moving on to Ahab's military career. Um, as I mentioned previously, Ahab had a, or he was regarded as one of the most significant kings of Israel. And if you're going to be one of the most significant kings of Israel, you likely have a, a pretty strong military presence. You likely have uh, a strong military force. You've won some battles. So um, Ahab, he did have an extensive military career, and he had built quite an army between um, Israel, his own army, and then also his allies. Now Ahab, he led several battles against Ben-Hadad uh, of Syria, as the king of uh king of Aram, excuse me, uh, which the Lord allowed Ahab and Israel to win due to the king of Aram's arrogance. Now, this battle is not, the, the next battle, forgive me, the next battle is not listed in Scripture, but as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot about Ahab that is actually not listed in Scripture because he was one of the most significant kings of Israel. There's actually sources outside of the Bible that have, uh, that have documented Ahab's rule as king and it was documented even some of the battles that he uh, took place in. So there is another battle that is recorded that took place at uh, at Karkar in 853 BC. Now this battle is recorded in an Assyrian stella which essentially is um, like a giant stone carving a stone slab. Uh, but this battle is recorded on one of these stone carvings, and uh, essentially Ahab was part of uh, an army, a coalition of armies that uh, that Ben Hadad, the same one that he fought in the first battle, uh, he had actually made a treaty with him, and he was now uh, working together as an ally with the same king against uh, against his current enemy, against the Assyrian army. So. Uh, and of course, they, they won that battle. And in Ahab's final battle as, uh, as king, this actually would prove to be his last day, um, as this would end his last battle, of course. So Ahab's final battle was again against the same Arams, which is recorded in 1 Kings 22. Ahab sought the help from 
Um, I believe the, the southern region, or the southern country of Judah, forgive me if I'm not good at geography. Uh, but from the, the southern kingdom of Judah and King Jehoshaphat. Now another prophet, Micah, he did prophesy that Israel would actually lose this battle uh, if they were to actually partake in the battle, if they were to go to battle. But Ahab decided to ignore him. He had a problem with prophets. He, he didn't like them. He, he didn't believe them. Um, but he decided to ignore them, or ignore Micah, and went to battle anyway. And for some reason, Ahab decided to disguise himself as uh, just a regular soldier and essentially uh, fight that battle in the, the mix of soldiers himself. While King Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, was wearing royal robes and, and everything. So uh, scripture tells us that a random soldier, not named a random soldier, shot Ahab with a bow and arrow that struck between uh between Ahab's joints of his armor. And Ahab had actually been taken in his chariot and he died by the end of the day. And the dogs licked his blood from his chariot. So, um, and, and Jezebel's death is recorded in Second Kings, I believe chapter nine, um, where her death is in a similar fashion. She was actually thrown out a window. So the, the method of death was completely different. But, um, they, they are similar in the fact that in both cases, whenever they did die, dogs came and they actually fed on their remains. And that is exactly what Elijah prophesied back in 1 Kings. So uh, that is just a very, very general, um, 30 minutes or less, very, very general uh, overview of Ahab. Like I mentioned, there's a lot, a lot to go into, not necessarily just in scripture, but... Um, a lot of different resources in history that shows Ahab and what he did. So um, I do like to end with some sort of discussion if anybody maybe has some thoughts or um, maybe something that I don't know. Maybe that uh, you know about Ahab. I'm always eager to learn and I know that I don't know everything. So if you have any thoughts, I would love to hear them. Otherwise, we can talk about something else, the weather. It's cold outside. Um, but any thoughts at all? Jezebel, uh, connections between, I know there's connections in Revelation between Jezebel and uh, Jezebel in Revelation and also the Old Testament. So, um, of course, there's a bunch of intertextuality between the New Testament, Old Testament, and Testament, even with Jezebel and Ahab. But any thoughts at all? Brother Gary, I know you were a big talker last week. <laughs> Uh, in your own thoughts, what, what would you get besides historically? What would you do? What kind of lesson would you learn from this, this study? From this study? I mean, on a very, very surface level, and this is probably something that could be taught to youth. Um, of course, this is a room of adults, but even on just a surface level, it's incredibly important who you associate yourself with, who you um, are seen with, and especially who you take influence with. Because obviously Ahab had his father who we see is not that great of a guy. <laughs> the, the habits that he created within his own household led to his son being just like him, if not even more so. And 
even from those habits, I believe, open the door for, for Jezebel to come in and become even more of an influence. So the, the things that we teach those around us, the things that we influence those around us, they can have a major impact even down the line that we may not know. So that that's the main thing that sticks out to me when it comes to Ahab and, and Jezebel. Just it, it's incredibly important who you let influence you.